Oh, good day. Everything that makes country racing great. This is Bushbeat on Radio Tab. They go past a five-rovita marketers pubs miracle strip. Silver glitters on the inside. Margot Barbie's going around them three and four wide and time the profits also there just behind them. Love and Vision. Uh, they're followed by only one general to the outside and well back in the field was Raffy's girl. They straighten up. They come down past the 300 meter markets. Margot Barbie the outside and time to profit. They pair off. They're two lengths in front of the favourite Silver Glitter. They come down to the 100 meter mark. Time to profit broke clear. Trying hard as Margot Barbie. They're followed by a Silver Glitter to third, but time to profit. Bolts in. Wins by three lengths. Uh, Margot Barbie second, third silver glitter. They're followed by Love and Vision. Yeah, Sewn up for last weekend by Divine Prophet. That particular filly winning on debut. Tony Clements is going to tell us more. And Rob Luck. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Steve. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bushbeat for another week on Radio Tab, rounding up all of the country news. And we always look forward eagerly every year to the new crop of uh, two-year-olds coming through. And it seems that the Palarinda Stakes at Townsville is what heralds all of that in. That was the two-year-old fillies division. And Scott Power filling in for Tony Woe did a great job of bringing us all of the action there at Cluden on the weekend. Time to profit for Jackson Murphy and Georgie Holt taking out the uh, fillies division while the two-year-old Colts and Geldings Palarinda Stakes went to uh, the Tasha Chambers trained and ridden age of Aquarius defeating Dance for Me Randy and Forget About It. Great to see those two-year-olds up and running. We've been watching with interest all of the Mashani two-year-olds uh, plundering away at the riches in Brisbane. It'd be great to see some of these other youngsters coming through and you never know where your next champion's going to come from. Speaking of champions, Rob Luck with us on Bush Peak. G'day Rob. Yeah, good morning, Tony. Good morning, Steve. Good morning, listeners. I love the two-year-old time of the year, Tony, and those results coming out of Townsville after having been the Magic Millions two-year-old ready to run. And in the uh, my final top list, uh, Divine Profit and a Headwater, both represented by those two winners. Not that I got either of them, but um, <laughs> uh, great to see Tash Chambers and Georgie Holt with two promising uh, two-year-olds early in the season. The Palaranda is a time-honoured race. And Congratulations also to Bar Calden trainer Patrick O'Toole going all the way up there to Townsville with Shadowway Drive and getting the maiden win up there, Tony. But uh, exciting time of the year, as you said, with two-year-olds. Um, uh, it's great to see the new crop coming through. We've got a lot to get through on the show this morning. We're going to continue following what's been happening with the uh, Country Stampede qualifiers as we count down to uh, December with the final there. Jack B. Lucky won the qualifier at Gympie on the weekend where it was Gympie Cup Day and Kobe Rocks took out the cup. It was also Cup Day at Clifton. Momac won the Clifton Cup. But unfortunately, we had a little bit of drama on the weekend. Isisford was called off on Saturday morning. We're going to go into a bit of detail about that. And unfortunately, due to a couple of race falls at Charleville, we had to lose the last two races there. But here's some of the action of what did happen at Charleville. Here's Forever Invincible winning for Amy Graham and Shane Iverson. And they're spread out like a politician's smorgasbord at the <coughs> 550 metre mark and halfway <laughs> and Forever Invincible in a lightning mid-race move takes over and dashes away. Forever Invincible will straighten up a big leader down to the 350 metre mark over Prince Toby and then comes Ready Made followed by Nutso and then the Invincible but I think they're all battling out for minor prize money because it's all forever invincible. He's well clear at his third start since coming to Queensland and he's bolted away. The uprising getting to a clear second now with Nutso, but it's all the top eight forever invincible. Kept going by Amy Graham, a big winner. The margin gets down to about five at the finish over the uprising, a similar margin. Yeah, four and three-quarter lengths for forever invincible winning the Battle Electrical Maiden Plate there at Charleville on the weekend. Uh, we got through the first three races without too 
many dramas, Rob, and only had uh, a little bit of an issue, I think, in the uh, uh, early part of the day. But then sort of things started to come undone by the time we got to race four. I know that they had some issues with the barriers and uh, did a bunch of testing there and uh, unfortunately then had to... Uh, uh, delay races and all of that sort of thing and then we had a, a double race fall in race four which sadly saw us lose a couple of horses from there where Ikagai Star and Adokar had to be euthanised and uh, jockeys Brendan Newport and Perry Carter coming down but there's been plenty of discussion about this over the past two days especially on social media. Yeah, the first thing I'll say is welcome back, Charleville, Tony, because isn't it great to see this track back up and running, uh, brand-new running rails, inside running rails on the training track, etc. Second thing I'll say is great Cunnamulla form on the races that did take place because when you look through the form, Mr Demolition was a Cunnamulla place getter. Miss Hoff won at Cunnamulla at its last run. That's one to follow, this Flying Arty. Thank goodness a Flying Arty won at the uh, weekend after the purchases at the... Uh, at the Magic Millions two-year-olds, but Miss Hoff is one really to follow. Beck Kerwin uh, and Shannon Apthorpe, we heard Forever Invincible, third at Cunnamulla at its last run. And uh, Real Hussey with that fourth race where Shannon Apthorpe had the double, and he had a double also at Cunnamulla. And welcome back, Rhiannon Payne. First win in uh, almost 12 months, I think it was, or maybe a fraction longer, after enforced injuries. But, yeah, Tony, look, it was unfortunate this happened. Um, when you read the stewards' report, it's quite obvious why the meeting was uh, abandoned, races five and six. Uh, of course, with the ambulances, one had already taken Johnny Rudd to a hospital, uh, then Sheriff uh, Cheryl Rogers got injured with one horse going through the barriers. The two jockeys, Brendan Newport and Perry Carter, our thoughts are with them as they recover. They both taken off to hospital. The time of the day, there was no chance that another ambulance was going to be able to get on course and a common sense decision to abandon the rest of the uh, meeting. But from all reports, this is a, a new track, a heavy sand track. It's got to settle down. It's got to take a little bit of time. The remediation work required for it, uh, you know, will be taken in hand. And great to see Racing Queensland have added a race to the program for their Melbourne Cup Day meeting. And great to hear Brett Moody calling there after so many years. So it wasn't the best way for Charleville to bounce back, um, but... I know they'll bounce back even bigger and better. And um, from all reports of jockeys involved in that race, it wasn't a, it's not a track issue involved. Our thoughts and sympathies to uh, Connections trainers and owners there of those two horses uh, we lost. And, and unfortunately, from the jockey's point of view, we're, we're down approximately four or five jockeys now uh, on the country circuit as well. But great to see Charleville back. But then to... The day got dampened, I thought, quite severely with the loss of the Isisford meeting. And I must uh, declare at this point, I know this track extremely well. I've called there the last 10 years predominantly. I wasn't there on the day, but there was many experienced racegoers who were there and have probably declared it as what it looked like, the best track they'd seen at Isisford for so many years. This track has come through 10 years of drought and it's never been a problem to race on prior to the weekend. So we'd like to investigate the processes involved in what makes a track safe, how it's determined, what are the criteria, because there just seems to be a real conflict going on when Racing Queensland, to my knowledge, have determined this track to be safe early in the week. Some remedial work was requested. Isisford Club instigated that. Racing Queensland signed off on that. On the day, a steward, the stewards arrived, declare it unsafe for racing. 
And uh, what better way to do it than to bring on uh, our guest from last week, Cameron Partington. Uh, welcome back, Cameron, of course, of the Trainers Association. But uh, you have a great working knowledge of the processes involved in calling off race meetings on the day. And I'm just curious, from your knowledge, could you explain to our listeners, good morning to you, could you explain to our listeners what the process actually is and did it appear to, to happen at Isisford on the weekend? Yeah, good morning, Rob and Tony. Um, look, we probably go back to pre-Curic days and we used to have stewards based locally. That was where the steward, the local steward, he might be, you know, within 100 k's of, of a track and he'd, he'd visit it regularly even if it wasn't racing there that often. He'd know his track and went or she and when they came to the race meeting, they knew what they were coming to and they knew what they'd done the pre-inspections, they've looked at it, they've done everything. Now we're in the Curic era, they basically don't see the track until race day and that's where our problem lies. We end up with Racing Queensland who work with the clubs to try and ensure that the, the track is up to standard and ready for a race. But the criteria that they have seems to be different to what Curic has. So in this case, Racing Queensland had, had been to Isisford and had sort of, you know, done, and they'd asked them to do a few things to the track to get it up to where they needed it. That was all done. So from everyone's point of view, the club, the participants, Racing Queensland, the track was ready to race. The steward gets there at, say, 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock on race day. It's too late then to call a meeting off without a lot of disruption so he's put in the position then or given a track now if it's not up to his or her standards he'll they call the meeting off now the protocol is the important thing and it was totally disregarded ignored however you want to call it out at isisford if it had been done we still probably end up with the same result maybe the steward still calls the meeting off we still want the steward at the end of the day to have that ability and the control and the responsibility because we don't want individuals particularly jockeys maybe who are a bit hungry or a bit greedy putting their lives at risk because of, hey, look, I thought I was going to earn a grand today. I had five rides. I've just got a ride to pay the bills. That's not the reason we want to run a race meeting. So we want the steward to have the final decision, but he's got to follow the protocol. About three years ago, on back-to-back of many of these abandoned meetings and stewards you know, being a little bit trigger-happy and just calling meetings off, we put a protocol together with Curic and RQ and the associations, which was pretty straightforward. The steward on the day contacts his superior firstly and says to his boss, that might be the chief steward or the commissioner, the deputy commissioner, hey, we've got a problem at Isisford. I don't like the way this track is. I'm going to do some investigations. They then ring the associations, which is myself and Glenn Prentice from the jockeys, and we have a teleconference that lasts about 10 minutes. We'll contact our local trainers and I'll get my members out there to give me some feedback because obviously we're not at the track. And within sort of 10 or 15 minutes, we'll all be on the same page and say, yep, we agree. It sounds like the meeting's got to be abandoned. Or we'll present a case why it should be abandoned. Because abandoning a race meeting should be a last resort. Um, it's definitely got to happen when it's got to happen, but it shouldn't be just done on a whim. And if that had been done, at least the industry wouldn't be disillusioned now. They wouldn't be walking around going, well, who, you know, who made this decision? The trainers said they wanted to, tr- to, to run the horses. The jockeys wanted to ride. Yet the steward closed the door and said the meeting's off without following any of that protocol. That's the real disappointing thing here, guys. Cameron... Just a couple of things. One, I can't find a steward's report, by the way, um, yet for Isisford. And I find that curious because surely there's a responsibility to put up a steward's report explaining why the meeting was actually called off. That's yet to appear. And, and obviously on the day from all reports, the officials, the people, the participants really did not get that communication relayed to them. I think Obviously, the safety is the important thing. Jockeys, horses, safety is most important. But what are these criteria that they are using and why are they so different if Racing Queensland, their representative, 
and the club working together have provided in their mind a safe track based on the criteria they're given what is so different and what are the criteria and what is so different between the two bodies when they're examining these tracks Rob that's the $25,000 question and I say 25000 that's what it often costs the industry to abandon a meeting by the time it pays compensation out to, um, to trainers and then and obviously the costs that we don't recover or we don't reimburse are the owners who you know drive to the track some of these owners might have driven miles and or flown in for certain race meetings to, to watch their horses. They go home disillusioned going, well, you know, what do I want to be in racing? They don't get enough information. There's no communication. Come back to the, the question, it's, what's the criteria? Well, clearly the, both parties don't share that information because if they shared the information, being Curic and RQ, Curic, RQ, RQ would know what Curic are looking for. So they would say, this is how we would say a track is standard to race and this is what it's not. And if, you know, if you can't have the same people... So we've already suggested on the back of what's happened at Isisford, and this is also on the back of what happened at Ipswich just a month ago and Torwood a few weeks before that. Um, you know, we, we're not having anywhere near as many as we, as we did in that little patch about two years ago, but there's enough of them for this to be a major concern to the industry. And there is some strong talks going on behind scenes between RQ and Curic, you know, as we speak. And, and hopefully we'll get some good resolution and, and we'll come up with another policy of which this time it might actually get adhered to, which would be great. Um, the, the key there is just making sure that they're on the same page. And, and, and our suggestion straight away has been, well, if Curic are going to be the ones calling off the meetings, they have to be the ones who do the pre-inspection. So they should be the ones who go to the tracks in the days leading up to the, the meeting, whether they drive past on the way to another venue a week earlier just to keep in touch with their tracks. And then liaising with the tracks team at RQ to say, hey, we've just driven past Isisford a few weeks ago and we found some cracks. What are you doing about it? all get together and then at, at the end of the day still on the Friday before a race meeting, whoever's going to say that the meeting is on or off has to be the one who looks at the track. If we can get a meeting called off on the day before, as much as that's a massive disappointment, at least it's not a massive cost directly to the participants anyway because they don't go to the meeting. And hopefully we can find out what is it that they need to be done. At the moment, I'm sure the club doesn't really know what it's got to do to get this track up to standard because they'll deal with Racing Queensland now, the tracks team, and the tracks team are going to say, well... We thought it was okay, so now we've got to relook at our criteria and our rule book to try and work out, well, what is it that's going to be acceptable to Curic? So hopefully this will get the two bodies together, get them in the room and come up with some, some better ways of doing this. And if it means that the Curic stewards have to actually inspect the tracks prior, that's that's the easy fix, but I know that comes at a cost. And that cost is obviously, you know, Curic have got, you know, they're understaffed and they don't have all the resources they want. So it comes at a cost to send them out there, but it's also a massive cost when it fails like it did, and that's what we have to make sure doesn't happen anymore. I guess the other thing too, Cam, if they do it the day before, there's the chance of meeting not actually being abandoned, but transferred. We saw that recently where the Tara meeting was transferred to Dolby, and I gather that was almost off the back of Gary Gearing going out from Toowoomba to check the track out himself, almost on behalf of himself riding, and the stable obviously had representatives that were being aimed at that meeting, but I think Gary went out on something like the Monday or the Tuesday and they were able to make the decision, well, no, the track's not going to be race-ready, um, let's move it to Dolby. We've seen the news come out yesterday that there's a Cairns meeting that's going to transfer to uh, Innisfail on uh, Sunday, uh, their TAB program there, and they've made that track inspection at Cairns early and said that the renovation process is still going on, so consequently they're going to uh, relocate the meeting there. So we don't lose the meeting, we don't lose the prize. Whoops, I've lost someone. I'm still here. 
Yeah, we just lost Tony there momentarily. Rob, Cam's still with uh, yeah, us. Yeah, well, I'll just keep going on there. And, and in this case too, uh, Cam, again, without a stewards report, my knowledge there were three stewards. One of them's based in Longreach, 120 k's away, who knows the track backwards. Um, I'm not sure what process the stewards used to come to this uh, decision, whether it was uh, the three of them together or whatever, but they certainly have local knowledge available to them. I have a question also, Cam, from the information I'm receiving, um, jockeys and their input to this decision, because my understanding was the jockeys were quite happy to race, even had suggestions, well, let's, let's run the maiden race first and we'll give an assessment on the track. But the information going back to them was what they don't need to consider that anymore. Is that the case with the track decisions? No, look, this is where it all broke down, Rob, and obviously that protocol, if it had been followed, the simple questions you said earlier in your comment there about, you know, like nobody knowing, you know, the local stewards who made the decision, if the protocol had been followed, the ATA and the QJA would now be would be able to tell you exactly what happened. We'd be able to say, this is who, who made the decision, this is how it was came about. None of that was done. So all we, all we know is that the, the steward out there basically on his own, you know, it's all innuendo and hearsay, and that's what it shouldn't be. It should be fact, mm. but it can't be fact when there's no there's no steward report. There's also no information from the associations who should have been involved in the decision. As far as the jockey, there's a protocol there for abandoning meetings where jockeys get to vote to see whether they want to continue. Once again, it only gives the stewards an indication on what the, the jockeys want to do. They can't control the show because, as I said a little bit earlier, we don't... Yeah want to make it all about a jockey saying that I will or won't ride. The stewards have the ultimate decision to say, taking everyone's views into account, we've assessed that the track's not safe. And that still could have been the right decision out there at Isisford. We're not, no one's actually debating that dramatically. Um, we might say that, you know, it was the fact that the steward was digging holes with his foot that created the holes that found the cracks. But at the end of the day, if that's what he feels is substandard, well, then we have to go with that. But um, we just ask that they do the protocol properly and it's it was the fact that we put all this in place to ensure it didn't happen, yet we see it just basically, you know, fail on us when we really need it the most. And that's the disappointing bit from an industry. Yeah, that, that process was clearly followed. I remember at Aramac, I think it was the previous year, where the state of the track would appear to have been uh, more dysfunctional than what it was at Isisford on the weekend, but the process was followed. And you, you're, you're very correct in saying that, that the overall decision, it does have to rely with Curic and the stewards for the safety of horses and uh, trainers and, and jockeys, but that process not being followed just creates this... Um, well, it creates a lot of angst between the participants uh, in a club that's always had at their foremost uh, thinking the safety of all the participants. They do everything in that club to make sure the race surface uh, is fine on the day. And now it just creates this state of confusion. Um, the, the little bit of confusion too, people still th seem to think there's no remuneration when this does actually happen. I know it doesn't compensate for lack of prize money, etc., but there is a remuneration process, Cameron. Yeah, there is, and that's something that you know we we fought very hard to to get a few years ago at the ATA for for trainers. The jockeys get a, as well, and the trainers we even pay more in a non-tab than we do in a tab, mainly because the distances are always going to be further for those non-tab meetings. So they never get all their money that's cost them to go to an event because some of these people are travelling for you know a day each way. That time um, it's four hundred dollars a horse uh, for a tab and a non-tab, sorry, and three hundred plus GST for a tab meeting. So it's um, but we are actually looking at that right at the moment to increase that a little bit as well. It, it does come out of prize money at the end of the day, so we're actually mm. paying ourselves out of our own money. 
but at least those people who are disadvantaged by an abandonment at the last minute, which these sort of situations are, they get some recovery of some of the costs. They've got the strapper that's gone with the horse. They've got the fuel to get the horse there. They've got the preparation and the training of the horse for that race. That's good. Then it's got to sit in their box for two weeks to the next race. So, look, I have done a good job in ensuring that the compensation is always paid. Um, we, we just like to think we don't have to pay it as often as we do because it's a, a waste of money at the end of the day. We don't see any any benefit from that compensation. It just pays for the fuel for these people to get out there and back. It doesn't give the owners a chance to see their horse race. A lot of horses also progressing in, in, in plans and... It, you know, they might say, well, it might have been a battle of the bush lead-up race at some of these meetings, or they have to have five races to qualify in the country area, and it could have been their last chance, and it's taken away from them. If it's a weather event, there's no concerns or problems. We have sympathy with everyone on that. You know, if it pours rain the day before, or whatever it might be, or there's a lightning strike that hits the track and you know knocks a tree over, all the things that unforeseen that could happen. We all in racing, we're used to adversity. We'll cop those on the chin, but when things could be could be better done at the, at the front end to make sure they don't happen. That's when it's really, really disappointing. And it just sort of probably highlights that disconnect that there is between Curic and the industry. And I think, and personally, and from the ATA's point of view, between between Curic and RQ, if they communicated better about all these tracks all the time, they'd both know what their criteria was that they were looking for to what was the standard of a track that they needed. And then also they would be you know, asking each other to say, hey, look, we've got a problem with this one. Can you have a look on your way past? We just don't see enough of that happening, and that's the disappointing thing. So hopefully, if nothing else, finally, this fourth crisis meeting, I've been with the ATA 15 years, and in the last sort of 10, we've had about five crisis meetings to do with the abandoned meeting policy, hence we put together these protocols. Um, majority of people that were there for those five meetings I've been to aren't in Racing Queensland or Keurig now, so it's it's a changing of the guard all the time that sometimes breaks down those communications, guys. And um, But hopefully, um, Jason Scott, the CEO of RQI, now is definitely... You know, on the hunt here to make sure that we, you know, we can get on top of these problems, and then hopefully Curic will also come to that same party and and look at what they're doing and actually acknowledge that they haven't done as good a job as they should have, and all of us can do a better job. Yeah, I gather there's a uh, Queensland Country Delegates meeting on in Brisbane, might be today, um, and this will be one of the topics that they will be discussing in amongst the uh, the country delegates. But at the same time, that's at RQ level; it still needs Curic to come to the table. Correct, yeah. Well, hopefully the future is one where we learn from this uh, across the board, both RQ and Curic. Uh, good on ISIS for continuing on for the afternoon. Bookmakers staying on course. Uh, what's he race calling uh, a phantom race call? The club uh, having their community event, which we all know the basis of these country race meetings, so important to these communities, these once a year uh, tracks and communities. And... Uh, and good on RQ. They've added three races to the Bar Calden meeting this Saturday. I'm not too sure, Cameron. I've got to go and call it this Saturday. I was expecting five, but now I've got eight. So that uh, we've got eight races anyway to look forward to on the weekend. But uh, thanks again for being on this morning and uh, for your input and your work behind the scenes going on with this uh, important issue for country racing. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Tony, and it's just good to get the, the message out there because, as you see on social media, it went berserk over the weekend and, and people don't always know what's really happened behind the scenes on lots of it. So if we can help sort of, you know, two things, communicate it out there, but also make sure that we can um, ensure problems like this don't happen again. And next time we're talking, it won't be about this. Good on you, Pachi. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, boys.
Cameron Partington from the Queensland branch of the Australian Trainers Association. As you said in that discussion, Rob, they have added an additional race to uh, Charleville Cup Day. It's a benchmark 55 over 1625 metres of $10,000 with nominations closing tomorrow. In fact, uh, Wednesday, November 1st at 11am. Don't get caught out, folks, by some of these early uh, nomination close-offs and whatnot with this hectic week of racing coming up. And as Steve highlighted before, we get a week off next week. No bush beat being some big race that's on at some place called Flemington next Tuesday and <laughs> consequently Bushbeat has to wait until the following week when we've got to then charge through about two weeks worth of results Rob. Yeah, it's always the following week that's interesting. It's almost like a 3,200-metre race, get through them as quick as possible and, and get everything done, uh, Tony. But uh, apart from the uh, the issues there at Isisford and the welcoming back of Charleville, there was some great racing uh, across the board. Cups racing continued uh, through the weekend as well as uh, stampede qualifiers at the weekend and the first of those that stampede qualifier that was a good one to see uh, one that hasn't yet met the criteria of the number of country starts jack be lucky for kelly gates and corey and kylie gear and that stable again taking out the gimpy stampede qualifier on saturday 600 metres to go, about to come off the back in the Stampede Qualifier. Logan's Blade leads away from Diggity, second the fence. Mr Brose is in a good position, third. Jack B. Lucky's never been on the track. He's about fourth but making ground. Pumped along there is Office Jim. Three lengths to Fastling. Going backwards, our little sister today. Hurricane Hall's got a big job to do and almost tacking on his dare to share. Up front, it's Diggity being pumped along. Jack B. Lucky's travelling well. Behind these runners, it's two lengths out of Logan's Blade. Diggity closest to the fence from Jack B. Lucky, Diggity in front, but here's Jack B. Lucky on the outside. Jack B. Lucky goes past it. Jack B. Lucky! I think Jack B. Lucky, but it's a photo finish. Jack B. Lucky just in front of Diggity. Four lengths in front of Office Jim, perhaps. 30. Yes, Ross was right in the call. Jack B. Lucky over Diggity and Office Jim in the Gimpy Country Stampede Qualifier. And as you said, Rob, uh, Jack B. Lucky now... That's uh, two of the qualifiers that he's run in. Ran second to Dollop at Stanthorpe a couple of weeks ago, but still not eligible for the final due to insufficient country starts. And I'm sure the Gearins are working on that. They've got a bit of time to be able to work it out as much as the uh, the finals coming up early December and there's only a month left. There's still nine heats of the uh, Stampede results to go. Yeah, if you can relate the sand track of Gimpy to the final on the grass, uh, this one could be an interesting qualifier. Jack be lucky over Diggity, which, as you said, second at the Stanthorpe meeting to Dollop. But the interesting runner, I thought, was Office Jim, who's actually uh, meeting that country qualification by this run or meet, getting an extra uh, tick for it. Office Jim is in the country uh, cups uh, final. He's actually qualified with a heat win yet to get the correct number of country starts. So Pat Webster planning this uh, meticulously as ever I would think and uh, back to the 1,030. What a very good run that was for Office Jim. Uh, so keep an eye on this qualifier. It could be an important one going forward. I mentioned Andrew Watts being out there at Isis for, the, for that meeting. Well, he did have a bit of cheering for the day because he and Max Tanks part own Kobe Rocks for Jared Wheelow and Matty Powell and they took out the Gimpy Cup for 2023 over the 1600 metres. He's a tough run, front running horse, this rock and pop six year old. And he's been the money the last four and he loves the sand surfaces. And uh, Pat Webster had to be content with second place with Tiff Brooker on Portnoy. Uh, very close finish there, only a neck in it with Makedon in third place. But congratulations to the Longreach boys for their part ownership with many others in um, Kobe Rocks. 
Uh, talking of Tiff Brooker, uh, we mentioned her going to Wandai. Well, she went up to Gympie on the weekend, uh, had those placings that I've already mentioned. Uh, she actually had a good placing on nine cigars behind Babu King, which won the uh, Benchmark 55. It's two from two at the track, horses for courses, as they say. But uh, Tiff had one of those days where a second on revved up Charlie and the cutest behind the, uh, the Kim Afford cutest winner in Chili Palmer. But she did kick off the day with a good win for Glenn Richardson. Uh, Viva Americano, uh, this American pharaoh, had uh, won its only two runs for the stable. I think it won last week as well. And congratulations, Glenn. He had a good win at Eagle Farm on Wednesday with I Am Fearless, who he's always rated a horse capable of winning in the city. So Viva Americano continued the run for the stable, continued the run for Tiff Brooker, uh, defeating a cash artist and Jayanne. So uh, a good day for Tiff Brooker, considering the number of seconds and thirds in that win. But all honours to Jack B. Lucky qualifying at this point uh, with the country stampede. Just needs to get the heats up to scratch. And Kobe Rocks taking out uh, this year's edition of the Gympie Cup. But it didn't stop there, did it, Tony, on the weekend? Because um, we had meetings that also took place up at Richmond on the weekend and also at Clifton. And the Clifton Cup saw that owner, Rodney Hay, and trainer, I should say, and Montana Sava combined with the newcomer to the stable in Momac taking out this year's Clifton Cup. So it's still Momac from Jimmy Neutron, Barry Moore and Springthorpe to a clear third, racing on the inside of its stable mate there, which is towards the outside of Fighting Fury. Behind those runners then was, towards the uh, outside of those runners then was Sir Piccolo, who's just worse than midfield, and then came Ecstasy. Jackalberry Finn gets going as they near the turn. Momac's been in front from the outset, trying to slip them. Jimmy Neutron's on the scene from Springthorpe, Barry Moore and then Jackalberry Finn. In, in front here, still Momac, but Jimmy Neutron's knuckling down now. Momac's in front. He's going to do it all the way, Momac. Momac wins the Clifton Cup from Jimmy Neutron. Yes, Momac, the Uncle Mo gelding, trained and owned by Rodney Hay out of his chinchilla base, taking out the Clifton Cup there on Saturday. He's having a great trot, Rodney, and he's putting a lot of money and time into his horses. It's an ex-New South Wales provincial galloper and uh, getting up over Jimmy Neutron and Jeff Dunn and Ricky Jameson. I saw Ricky actually at the uh, at those sales I mentioned earlier, and she said, yes, I'm heading out to Clifton to a country meeting for the Cup with Jeff uh, Dunn. So they went down uh, by just under two lengths, so a close result, Jackalberry Finn for Ducky Baker, Ducky Baker and Lily Barr into third. But it wasn't uh, to, uh, the, the, the worst uh, result for the day for Ricky Jameson. She got up in the last with Jeff Dunn. They got their winner on the day with crystallisation. A crystal finale mare took the final event over Expedient Choice and uh, Magic in Paris. So good to see jockeys like uh, Ricky Jamison and um, Tiff Brooker getting out to these country tracks and supporting the country racing, as does one guy, Paul Hamlin. And great to see he got the double. He's uh, continuing to ride everywhere, Paul. He rode for Rachel Wells, uh, Rachel Watts, my apologies, with Chisholm, uh, the real saga. Two wins in a second. It's only three runs for the stable. Took out the Class B over Ozark and Lonergy, another Rodney Hay galloper. And then Paul had a race-to-race double when he combined with Troy Pascoe with Copper Sunset, uh, taking the benchmark 60 from uh, Sip It Slow and Easy Come. And the other winner on the day was for Sophie Wilcock and... Um, 
Kevin Sims with Mr. Evans. And uh, this horse actually went out the river circuit. It did the whole three of them, Batuta, Baduri and uh, Birdsville, this worthy cause, and rung up win number one out of eight starts uh, over Torrential and Red Avev. So uh, maybe that trip out there has uh, seasoned that galloper a little bit and Mr. Evans getting home for that particular win. But Paul Hamlin taking the double on the day and Momac, Rodney Hay and Montana Sava uh, taking out the Clifton Cup for this year's uh, Clifton Cup 2023 turning. I just want to clarify something I might have said there. I might have come out the right way when I was talking about um, Jack be lucky and plenty of uh, time to qualify for the uh, country stampede. Of course, has qualified through winning a heat. Doesn't have to run in any of the other heats. Just needs more country starts. I might have Mm. uh, sort of alluded that he had to come out and win more of those nine heats that are still to go. The Gearins may decide to take him to Dolby on Saturday and run in a 1,000 metre benchmark 65 if he he, qualifies for something like that. So no, there there is a certain amount of country starts. What I was highlighting was there's plenty of time before the final comes around uh, beginning of December at Durnbert on George Moore Stakes Day. And just touching on that, uh, this Saturday, the next of the country stampede qualifies at Bar Calden on Melbourne Cup Day, Gladstone and Charleville each host heats. Uh, then on the following Saturday, on the 11th of November, Chinchilla, Morumbah and Cooktown have stampede heats. Mount Perry, Clermont and Roma all wrap it up on the 18th. And while I'm checking the calendar there, for the uh, Country Cups qualifiers, uh, next legs of those, Saturday, the Yapoon Cup and the Home Hill Cup for the Aberdican Race Club, the Charleville Cup on Melbourne Cup Day Tuesday next week and then the Roma Cup Day looming on the 18th of November is going to be the uh, last of the heats there. And taking it one step further, Rob, while I am checking the calendar, as I've mentioned, this coming Saturday, non-tab programs at Bar Calden, Cloncurry, Dolby, Home Hill and Yapoon. Not forgetting, of course, Tuesday next week, Melbourne Cup Day, they're racing at Bundaberg, Charleville, Gladstone, Cumbia, Mackay, Mad Isa, Toowoomba and Townsville are all non-tab programs to chime in with all of the other tab cards around the place. And one of the other interesting highlights coming up this weekend, a heat of the Jericho Cup at Bow Desert on Saturday to be run over 3,200 metres. It'll be uh, only once or twice a year that you'll see uh, horses run over 3,200 in Queensland. Great time of the year for it, isn't it, with the Melbourne it Cup is. coming up on uh, next Tuesday, 3,200 metres, the uh, the key distance. And uh, you're quite right. The the Battle of the Bush, Tony, is the thing that makes it confusing, I think, with the qualifying because with that particular series, you have to have had the five uh, non uh, five country starts, non-TAB starts, prior to being in the heat, whereas it's a little bit different for the Stampede and the uh, country cups. And trainers have got it down pat now, and uh, some of them go far and wide to actually make sure that takes place. And there was a meeting far and wide, and it was at Richmond on the weekend, where the form of the Manselman stable continued because John Manselman and Jade Doolan uh, combined for a double on the day. But as did uh, Townsville trainer uh, Matthew Maguire and Denisha Smith, they came out and took four, four of the five races after Sean Roy's and Jason Hooper had opened up with Don't Stop Laughing in the Maiden, the headwater mare. Uh, it became uh, the Manselman Maguire uh, show for the afternoon. John took race two with Gossip Talk, placed at it its only other two runs for the stable this capitalist ridden by Jay Doolan defeated the Matthew Maguire runner and Denisha Smith on board in inner spirit uh, then Matthew re, uh, Matty Maguire reversed that situation in the third when tactical illusion for he and Denisha Smith had its second win from two at the track defeating the Mansman runner chill out miss with Craigley Altona third uh, John Mansman bounced back with the Quinella in race four uh, our heartthrob are getting up for a win after winning at Mount Isa 
on the uh, Tuesday meeting, the TAB meeting over Stablemate Dawn Rebel with the Matty Maguire runner Mission House into third place. And then Matt Maguire combined with uh, Denisha Spith with Colum Batty in the final event, the Open Handicap, uh, which uh, with a horse that ran third at Home Hill at its last run, defeated Vigorous Flow, a horse in form for Denise Ballard and Real Empress into third. So those two trainers certainly did target that meeting, bought the horses out and uh, were able to uh, take home most of the chocolates um, for the day. But we also had a good meeting up at Gladstone on the uh, weekend. And, of course, uh, there was an important race on there with a horse that just loves sand tracks. It was in the open plate over A50. And Hand Dynasty for Olivia Kendall and Billy Johnson continued with a great record at Gladstone. So I suppose there's six lengths between the field when they come up now with the home turn in their sights short of 400 metres to go and kicking up back along the inside Han Dynasty's got about a neck to spare now from going around the outside was Crispy Kev and there's oh, two of them went off the track Tiger Legend was one and Fanar's coming into it Han Dynasty leads but he's under preference under sufferance down to about 150 to go Crispy Kev is trying hard and now Tiger Legend's getting a run through but it's going to be on the inside Han Dynasty just in front anyone and Dynasty 1, I'd say, from Crispy Kev for now flying at the end. Only a field of four, but as often happens, Rob, it's yeah. a, uh, an interesting and uh, exciting race where you end up with very tight finish. There was uh, basically heads and necks in it at the end when Han Dynasty defeated Fanar and Crispy Kev. And the voice you heard there is the voice you're about to hear now, Tony McMahon with us on Bushbeat. G'day, Tony. Good morning, Rob. Yeah, a big, uh, big day, Glass. The crowd's just unbelievable. I'd, I'd say about 2,500. I can tell you this, that uh, halfway through the afternoon, the uh, club chairman, David Weed, said to me, look, we've got to get some more resources, meaning liquid refreshment. Uh, he said we had exactly the same amount as we had last year when it was a huge crowd, but we've got to go and get another 100 cartons. So it was a massive day, believe you me. And, and I must commend the club. Uh, you know, everything went off without a problem. Beautifully dressed women. It was a fantastic day. And Han Dynasty, yeah, he's a game little fighter written by Olivia, Olivia Kendall who's back riding and lovely to see her win. It's just won by about a oh, close enough to a nose from Nah from Fanar who flew home and Crispy Kev was uh, was third. Uh, all in all the day was good. Uh, John Mandelman won the first with Harkashan, written by Aaron Malloy who's really making a name for herself, riding plenty of winners. We're very lucky here in central Queensland at the moment. We've got so many young uh, apprentice girls and uh, they're really riding very, very well. Uh, the second race, Chatilli, Tracy Simmons and uh, Brody Moffat uh, combined there. The horse was to be ridden by um, Nicky Seymour. Unfortunately, he broke her arm when a horse flipped heels at Callaghan Park the day before and sent a cheerio out to Nicky. I know she's a, a regular listener of your show. Uh, the third race was won by uh, Glenda Bell's horse, Uncle Frank. Bit of irony there. They called Glenda Bell Auntie Glenda and uh, she prepared <laughs> Uncle Frank to win. Ridden by Gemma Hogg, only down the second, uh, second win. But uh, she has a future. Very interesting girl, this. She's a, a truck driver too. She won a big Queensland award for her. Uh, uh, her truck driving skills about a fortnight ago, but she's got a future in the saddle, Gemma. And uh, the other race, Han Dynasty, the last race, look, this is a, a win. Horses just don't do this. Horse called Take the Lead, trained by Carl Sinclair out at um, Thangul, ridden by Brodie Moffat, who rode a double on the day. It was three wide all of the way in a 1,517-metre race. It just kept coming on and coming on and ran away to win by 2.5 lengths. It's a real sand scratcher. Uh, they can't do it, but it did it because of its ability on the sand. So that was a very impressive win. 
Yeah, Tony, three from three on the track for that galloper. As with Hand Dynasty, three from four with one placing. But wouldn't you like to own that galloper of Billy Johnson's, the Raphael Scat? He's had 27 starts, 15 wins, seven minor placings. We know Billy's got that great record with Fab's Cowboy. Well, this particular galloper's developing the similar sort of record, isn't it? He certainly is, Rob. And one of our good friends, uh, Nugget Turnbull, is a part owner. And I uh, texted him straight after the win, and uh, he was over the moon. He's a great supporter of the Johnson stable. Hand Dynasty, only little horse. He's got a heart. He really fights. Yeah, Tony, now I'll just ask you a quick question because you've been a steward before. Uh, we were talking to Cam. I don't know whether you heard our conversation with Cam Partington, but uh, we're certainly hoping that going forward, this process gets worked out uh, well and truly and clearly so the criteria of these meetings being called off uh, is very clear to all parties, both RQ, uh, clubs and uh, Curic. Um You've been a steward for many years in the past. Uh, I know it's going back a little bit, but um, what's your comments this morning? Okay, well, uh, I was the chairman of the, the Northern Rivers Racing Association. It was 40 years ago. At the time, I was the youngest uh, chairman of stewards in Australia, appointed by the AJC. Look, our policy was simple. We inspected the tracks. If there was any problem, uh, I can remember one day driving down to Coffs Harbour. Uh, it was about a 400-kilometre drive from where I lived at the time. Got there the... Uh, the day before the races stayed there overnight because there was a problem with the track. But it was elementary, it was rudimentary, it was compulsory. Every track had to be inspected by a steward. And the policy was we'd get there early, say 7 o'clock in the morning. If there was a problem, there'd be much notification so to save the stakeholders from going the big distances. And I can, I can tell you that uh, just I want to say this one comment, I think uh, the standard thing which has come out of Norfolkcombe is that what happened there didn't pass the pub test. That's about as much as I can say. I know one of our girls, uh, Brooke Johnson, drove 717 kilometres to ride out there. But really, in my opinion, the stewards should be there early in the morning if there's any problem whatsoever. And if there's a local steward within the area, say 120 kilometres, as I believe the case was, I heard you speak earlier, they should be there to inspect that track. It's, it's, it's a must. And the, our policy always was, and it was the AJC's policy, the steward had to walk the track prior to our race meeting, regardless. Uh, sometimes you'd drive around if it was you know, a beautiful day, but if there's any little queries, you'd walk the track, you'd crisscross the track. You just don't walk along the road, you'd crisscross the track. And I believe this policy should be introduced by Keurig. But the any doubt, Stuart's got to be there before the scratching time, 7.30 in the morning. That's the way I see it, though, Rob. Yeah, no, yeah, no well, and hopefully uh, voices of experience uh, will be able to contribute um, to these discussions going forward and uh, as Cameron was saying earlier it's a future we've got to look towards and uh, and getting a clear process with clear criteria known to everyone so we don't keep getting this problem but uh, where are you off to next Tony? I reckon you've got a, a good Yapoon meeting coming up is it? Could be a beauty yeah we've got the country challenge race down there the country cup race be a marvellous meeting down Yapoon next Saturday and the following Saturday is another bumper it's the Mirabar Miners meeting so two uh, two big days coming up and of course Gladstone race on Melbourne Cup Day so three meetings in uh, in a fortnight for the old caller so looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're, you're a bit like me I've got to fly out to Bark Alden Saturday uh, morning uh, there's eight races now fly back from Longreach on Monday afternoon and head up to Bundaberg to call for the first time up in Bundaberg so I'm glad I'm glad us older gentlemen are, are getting plenty of uh, experience getting around these tracks Tony Never let the old man in, Rob. Never let the old man <laughs> Very good. I saw that article through the week. Good on you, Tony. Talk soon. Okay. See you, guys. Bye.
I won't put him in the same, uh, can I say, experience or veteran category as you two, but I was talking to Scott Powell yesterday, Rob, and he's got a similar thing coming up uh, mid-November. He's got to call Clermont on the Saturday and then hightail it all the way up to do the TAB program at Townsville. He's got another, another return there to Cluton on the uh, the 19th of November, uh, subbing in off the bench for Tony Wode. So great to see you guys. I think you're just about ready to hang up the binoculars. You're still getting out there with plenty of meetings. And you know what, Tony? We love it. Love every minute of it because it's great to get out and support country racing and uh, just be part of seeing maybe that next country champion come through and uh, mm. hit the hit the big notes in the in the city, as they say. But uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time when we will be racing through to get through everything. But I'm sure there'll be great country uh, results to report on. Safe racing to everyone uh, on the weekend and a big thank you to all the jockeys, trainers supporting country racing across Queensland. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, listeners. Good on you, Rob. Thank you for that and have a great week. And, yes, we are back in two weeks, folks, off next week due to Melbourne Cup Day, but Bushbeat returning the following week on the 14th of November. As always, if you missed any of today's show, the podcast replay available through the Radio Tab megaphone page. Do a Google search on that. Add it to your uh, subscriptions if you're a regular podcast listener. You'll find the link on the Radio Tab Twitter page. Their handle is at Radio Tab Oz. And the link also goes up on the Country Punters Facebook page if you want to catch up on any of the news on Bushbeat. As Rob said, good luck to clubs racing this coming weekend on Saturday. Bar Calden, Cloncurry, Dolby, Home Hill and Yapoon. And also for those who are then in action on Melbourne Cup Day and not forgetting the following Saturday, the likes of uh, Chinchilla with their Country Stampede Qualifier, Moranbar Cup Day, Cooktown Cup Day and the Wallawi Cup running at Ilfracombe, just to name a few. We'll bid you good racing for the next couple of weeks and catch up soon on Bushbeat.